morning, Door of Hope. Good morning. It is so good to have you here. Now, if it was me, I would have just gone from worship and not done the yucky, toxic clip. Because it's yucky. But today, we're here to talk about some of that yuckiness, in particular, deceit. It's a great clip, but it's about yucky things. Okay? Um, Hi to everyone online today, if you're watching today, or if you're watching sometime in the future. It is great to have you sharing with us. And my prayer for us today is that the Spirit of God would be at work in us. Um, he's at work even when we can't see it. He's at work even when you can't feel it. And my prayer is that he will be at work today or whenever you are sharing in this message. Um, my name's Christy, and uh, it is always my privilege to get up here and chat with you. I chose this topic um, today, we were, um, the people that are speaking could choose their toxic theme. I'm not sure if that was a wise decision or not. Um, but deceit is something that God has been getting my attention about over this last season, and we'll talk about that a little bit. I want to start with some memes today. Do you all know what a meme is? A picture with some words. Meme comes from a word that means changing and mutating. So it actually is sort of our cultural thought that changes over days, weeks, years, and is spread throughout our society. So let's have a look at the first one that we've got up on the screen. Is it up there? There it is. Only surround yourselves with people who will lift you higher. Is that a good one? Next one. Surround yourselves with people who make you happy. And actually, in brackets, you can't see it. Um, not with people who don't. Okay, next one. Fumigate toxic people. I often see toxic people memes at New Year's when people make resolution. Rid myself of toxic people, toxic situations. Next one. Saying yes to happiness means learning to say no to things that people and situations that stress you out. That's not bad. Not bad. We're going to come back to these a little later on, okay? Come back to our memes. But onto deceit, concealing or misrepresenting the truth, okay? Close to lying. But deceit's a little bit more under the surface, isn't it? A bit more underhanded, a bit more secretive. It's one of the toxins that move us away from a good life with God. And we're going to go through some of the ways that we can get rid of this toxin or this poison today. You only have to get 56 verses into the Bible before deceit comes up. Counted them, 56. Genesis chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. I'm sure you are all familiar. Who are our characters? Adam, Eve, serpent, and God's there, okay? So the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. I need 56 verses in, and deception comes. Satan deceived the woman, that was his action, but Adam and Eve were also deceived, weren't they? They were deceived. 
What was the story in the garden at the time? So we know our characters are there. What was the story? The story is the phrase that we've heard often on this platform over the last 18 months or so. Do you remember it? A good God created a good world and in it he put good people to do good work, to live a good life. That was God's story or God's narrative in the garden at the time. And that's where Adam and Eve were living. But Satan came along, the prince of deceit, the prince of lies, and he misrepresented that truth a little bit, didn't he? He said, what if there's actually more good things that you don't know about yet? What if the good that God has is not good enough? What if you're missing out? What if actually there's a whole like, other lot of good over there and God's not allowing you to see it? He planted this deceit and he deceived them with cunning words. They were disconnected from God's story right at that moment. Okay? And that narrative hasn't been fully restored since. We look forward to the day when it will be fully restored. Then we move to Abraham and to Jacob and Esau. Jacob was the second son. He wanted the inheritance or the birthright. Esau was getting it. So what did he do? A lovely little deception, a con job on his dad. He concealed the truth and he also misrepresented the truth, got the birthright. Many consequences to follow. Deceiving others are false narratives that we speak out into the world, out into other people. That's what deceiving others looks like. In Ephesians, another book that we've just been through here at Door of Hope, it says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Memes come to mind again. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. False narratives that I speak, but also false narratives that are spoken to me. I can deceive, I can also be deceived. Let's move on to Samson, another character in the Bible. In the time of the judges, he was a baby dedicated to God, very young age, and God gifted him, endowed him with his supernatural strength. Do you remember the story? So he had long hair and he could topple a temple with foxes' tails and all sorts of crazy things. But he was deceived, wasn't he, by YYY Delilah. He was deceived by her. Thank you, Bruce. We all know how old Bruce is. And he was deceived by her. And the hair was cut. He lost his power. He ended up in a hideous state. No power, no eyes and separated from that covenant that was made with him and God um, when he was born. But he was also deceived himself. He deceived himself. Because he forgot, and he kept telling himself, this is my power, I am powerful, I can do anything, forgetting that it was God who was doing that. God had given him the power. So we can actually deceive ourselves, and deceiving myself are false narratives that I believe. False narratives are stories in my head that 
go over and over and tell me something that's not true. I don't actually need anyone else to deceive me. I can do it all on my own. We move into the New Testament, and Paul writes a letter to the church in Galatia, and he says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, but in this way, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something they're not, they deceive themselves. Each of you should test your own actions and they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each of you should carry your own load. I want to draw two things from these verses. The first is who Paul is writing to. It says, you who live by the Spirit. He's talking to people that have said yes to Jesus, who have invited Christ into their life and live by his Spirit. So he's talking to the church, the body of Christ. He's talking to us. We can take this instruction because we are part of his body. We have the Spirit living in us if we've said yes to Jesus. The second thing is Paul is talking about being deceived by the way we think about ourselves and to ourselves, an internal narrative. Comparing ourselves to others doesn't happen in conversation, doesn't it? You don't walk up to someone and say, oh, I wish I was as happy as you. I wish I had your hair and your brows. We don't do that. It happens inside. It's subversive. It's under the surface. And that's why I think it's the most toxic one. We can deceive others. It's a bit more out in the open. It's the under the surface one that's toxic. Self-deceit is listening to a story that's not fully true. I do this quite a lot. And it's something that God has got my attention about. Um, I like to think of the glass as not only half full, but overflowing. So yesterday, when I went to do the first park run, from seven months of not doing it, it was forecast to be 100% rain all day, and it was seven degrees, and I thought, it'll clear, it'll be fine. So I got there, and it was pelting down with rain, I'm like, no, it'll be fine, it'll be great, I'll enjoy it. I did not enjoy it. It was horrible. It was hot, it was cold, and then I walked through a massive puddle at the end of the race and filled my shoes with water, and it was not pleasant. Now, normally, I would say, but I did a good run. I ran with friends, and it was fabulous, and I would tell myself how great it was. It wasn't great. That wasn't true. And I got home, and I said to Danny, it wasn't great. And he said, but it was a good run, and I said no, because he's used to this. It was a good run. No, it wasn't. But you're glad you did it. No, I wasn't glad I did it. I really wasn't. It's my story that I tell myself. Everything bad, every failure can be good. Actually, I try to just ignore the failures. They didn't even happen. That's my brain, me, saying, I'll just change all this. I'll misrepresent the truth so it's better. It's not always better doesn't always work, because it's not true. How do we deal with deceit? How do we deal with this toxin, this thing that messes up my 
going from worship to God to the rest of my life. That, that little clip did. I don't know about you, but I don't like it because I'm worshiping God, talking about him being a way maker and a miracle worker and how he's always at work. And then this little toxic bit comes in on the screen and I'm like, oh. And the rest of my day is different. How do we get rid of that poison? The simple answer is exactly what Winnie finished with last week, to remind ourselves of God's truth through his word. That's, sim that's actually it. So I could sit down now, but I've got 12 minutes and 30 seconds to go. We'll unpack that a little bit. His story, God's story, is Jesus' words. It's the words of his father throughout scripture. It's the way he interacted with his disciples. It's the way that he preached and shared truth. It's the way he healed people. It's the way he led. They are the narratives that we need to embrace. It's not self-help, people. Self-help is using our own energy, our own willpower, which doesn't have much power, if you've noticed, it's not just making good choices. It's not just saying, I'm going to start that. It's not just using the strength of my personality, although strong. Self-help doesn't fix it. What fixes it is the transforming power of the spirit of Jesus Christ. That's what reduces the toxic influences in our life. Self-help will never do it. You can read every book. It's only the spirit of God. It's spiritual formation, being formed to be like Christ, which is what this journey is about. We invite him in and say, please help me become more like you. That's the whole point. There's a, theo a theologian named Dallas Willard who says the process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressive replacing destructive images and ideas with the ideas and images that filled the mind of Jesus himself. You think, how do I do that? Well, we have our, his spirit with us. So inside of us, we actually have those words, and they're written down for us in the Bible. If you don't have one, there's some out there, just as you go into auditorium too, you can just go and grab one. If you're online today, ask for a Bible. You can type it in the chat box. You can message us on Facebook. You can use Bible Gateway or any of the online ones, but it's in here. In other words, what we're talking about is replacing our false narratives with ones that are true, yes? The true narratives of Jesus. So when Jesus was uh, walking and talking on this earth, he was living in the Roman Empire. People would come up to him and try and catch him or seek his wisdom because he had become, uh, he had a reputation of being wise and saying amazing things. So the Pharisees, religious leaders of the day, thought they'd catch him out. So they sent a group of people to him and they said, Jesus, Caesar really isn't our king and we live under sort of his rule. Should we pay taxes to him? And instead of saying yes or no and giving the reasons, what he did was created a whole new narrative. Instead of talking about empire, what did he talk about? Kingdom. Instead of talking about Caesar, he started talking about himself as the new king and a different way to live. And we still are in that 
um, journey today. We can be thinking about us as individuals or thinking about us in his kingdom, with him as a king. He'd finished preaching all day and there were 5,000 people more sitting on the hillside and his disciples came up and said, they're all hungry, we need to give them something to eat. Instead of him saying, send them home or go and buy thousands of loaves of bread, what did he do? He gave them a new narrative. He said, in this kingdom there is a God who is generous, who provides. I'm going to show you a miracle that will change how you think about how this world works and how God works. He gave them a new story. Is your internal narrative about things deceiving you? What's your internal narrative about money? I don't have enough money to do what I want to do. Bring that to Jesus. What does he say? He said, the sparrows are looked after by God. The lilies of the field are dressed beautifully. Our God is a God of provision and of generosity. It's a whole new narrative. It changes that internal story. What about your internal story about fun? Everyone else has more fun than I do. What does scripture say? There is a season for everything. Your season with a newborn baby doesn't last forever. Your season with sickness won't last forever. Maybe it will last until heaven, but it won't last forever. Every season has its timing. Is your internal narrative about importance deceiving you? What did Jesus say? Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. What did he say about this old woman who brought a tiny, tiny coin for her tithe? Look at this woman as an influence. We still use that woman as an influence, don't we? We say, bring what you can and give it to God with a good heart. Don't be like, oh, look at all my money. We still see her. Let's look at Jesus' narratives about our world, about this kingdom. Let's go back to our memes, shall we? Let's do that. Only surround yourself with people who will lift you higher. What does Jesus say about that? He ate with sinners and tax collectors. He praised the prostitute who anointed his head with oil when his host didn't even give him water to wash his feet. She lifted him higher, but it wasn't who you would expect. Surround yourself with people who make you happy. That's such a good thought, isn't it? Such a nice thought. Jesus spent three years teaching and discipling a man he knew would sell him to death for 30 pieces of silver. I don't reckon that made him happy, but it was for a mission that God had asked him to do and a purpose, and he did that. Fumigate toxic people like cockroaches. Jesus said, if someone takes your coat, give them your shirt. The narrative of the time was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you are toxic to me, I will exclude you from my circle. I will not invite you back. I will not return your texts or emails. I'm going to put up a barrier so that I am okay. Jesus, that's not his narrative. Saying yes to happiness as we all want to say yes to, means learning to say no to people that stress you out. What does Jesus say? He tells a story of a father who waited 
years for his prodigal son to return, the son that had squandered his inheritance, the son that he thought was probably dead, was he stressed? I would think so. Maybe he heard about his son eating pig food out of a trough. Would that stress a parent out? I think so. Did he welcome him back with open arms? Yes. Yes, he did, because that's the narrative of the kingdom. That's the narrative of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to replace our narratives with. To replace false narratives with God's narratives, we need to know God's narratives. Now, self-help is pretty quick. Go to Kmart, you buy the book, you do the steps. It doesn't really work. Self-help will not deal with offence, won't deal with worry, won't deal with negative influences. Only the power of Jesus by the transforming, transforming work of his spirit. It's slow. It's really slow. Probably painful. But it ends in growth. And that's what spiritual formation is. I want to show you my little plant. This is a Chinese money plant, Winnie. Happy money, Chinese. Woo. Now, I have fully joined the new trend of house plants. I do not deny it. This is my Chinese money plant, and it's so cute. Have you noticed how our language about plants has changed dramatically? It's so cute. Isn't he a good little guy? He's doing so well doing so well. We have this new language about plants. Anyway, I don't see this plant growing. I look at it, I don't see it. But I came out this morning and there's a tiny little new leaf down here. He grows really slowly. But my sister's plant is like this big. This one will eventually be too. But it's super, super slow to watch. And I came back from holidays the other day and my um, Monsterio has a whole new leaf. And I was like, wow, look at that. But it's slow, it takes time, and it takes this plant sucking up the nutrients in the water. And we have to plant the right seeds so we don't get the weeds that grow, because they grow super fast, don't they? So fast, overnight, you can actually watch them grow. These ones don't, they grow slowly. By replacing our negative and false narratives that are in our head with the true narratives of Jesus Christ and with the help of his Holy Spirit, we can become more like him so that we can be good people doing a good work right now in his kingdom. We don't have to wait for heaven. It happens right now. Yes? The other way of breaking down deceit is by reminding each other of these narratives. And that's what we do every week in communion. We gather as a family and we remember and remind each other of the narratives that Jesus told us about gathering around a table as a family. We remind each other about the narrative that he has done what it takes to restore us because we can't self-help ourselves. Actually, he had to come and die and rise again and return to heaven, seated at the right hand of God, so that his spirit could do the work in us. 
And during communion, we remind each other of that. You have a little, um, a little cup of juice there with the wafer on top. The narrative of his body broken, the narrative of his blood spilt for us. These are the narratives to remind ourselves of today, to remind each other of as we share together. We're going to do that. We're going to drink and we're going to eat. If you're online, please grab those things and do that with us today. We're reminding each other. I'm going to pray for those today. If this is something you haven't done before, that's okay. I'd encourage you to listen well over the next weeks and listen to the narrative about communion, why we do it, why it's important, and maybe it will become part of your story as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, thank you for your work in creating this good place for us in dying because we can't help ourselves and in doing the work of spiritual formation in us, God, forming us to be more like you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, as we take these emblems, these reminders, would we be reminded of your good story? The story that's not quite finished, but we get to participate in each and every week, each and every day of our lives when we say yes to you. As we eat this bread, thank you for your body. As we drink this juice, thank you for your blood, Lord Jesus. We love you. Amen.